Preaching on a Mother's Day is always weird for me because on the one hand, I have great respect for women. This is a point that I bump heads with with a lot of men in the church on a regular basis and happily so. My mom is awesome. My queen is top-notch. And my daughters are incredible. But having said that, Mother's Day is also weird for me because on the other hand, I have never been a mother. I have no plans on being a mother. And I never plan on being a woman. But my wife is a mother. I was raised by a woman who was a great mother, so while I'm not a woman or a mother, I do think that I can share a couple of thoughts that are appropriate for a day like today. To do so, I'd like you to open up your Bible to the prophet Isaiah. We're going to look at two separate texts. The first is Isaiah chapter 49. So you can start there. The second is Isaiah 66. So it's not far away. You won't have to turn to both. But to begin this morning, we're going to go to the prophet Isaiah chapter 49. Now, while you're turning there, let me begin by saying something. It's a dangerous thing to be a woman here today. It's a dangerous time to be a woman here today. Our society has sexualized women, has victimized women, has exploited women, and when our society does decide that it wants to celebrate women, it's only the kind of women it approves of. And that kind of woman, in my mind, looks like a narcissistic, half-nude, promiscuous woman who is self-interested and self-centered and self-involved. And that's not a biblical woman. It's interesting to me today. It's funny to me today how feminism looks so little like femininity. Over against that reality is the biblical reality, namely that women are ordained by God to walk in a calling that he has for women, not for men, but specifically to be ordained by women. And part of God's calling for women is that they are both strong and gentle, that they are both capable and cooperative, that they are liberal, and that they are loving. To help convey some of these points that I want to share with you today, first of all, by Isaiah chapter 49, I have three simple points that I want to make. First is this, a mother's love, like God's love, should be patient. A mother's love, by way of the Bible's teaching, like God's love, should be patient. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 49 with me, I want to begin in verse 15. So if you're there, let me know by saying amen. Amen. So you read with your eyes as I read aloud. This is God speaking to his people who are less than perfect at this point, okay? If you're reading a verse from a prophet like Isaiah, you've got a 95% chance the people are not behaving at the moment. 
This is the whole point of the prophet. Okay, so this is God speaking to his disobedient people through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 49, verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet, God says, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. A reference to the walls that protect this beloved city of Jerusalem. Now here in this text, we see something that's beautiful, that's intimate, that's personal, and it reminds us of what God is like by bringing to our remembrance, same if you're listening, what a mother is like. We get a picture of what God is like because God brings to our remembrance what our moms are like. It reads, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will never forget you, God says. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. And I guess the point that I want to make from this text is primarily there in the middle where it says, even these may forget, yet I, says the Lord, will not forget you. Javi, God will not forget you, brother. You are not forgotten by God. Sometimes we look around at our circumstances and we say, I have to have been forgotten. And God says, no, I can't forget you. It's, it's not a possibility for me to forget my people. To help make sense of the point, help to make it relatable, he says, can a woman forget the child that she's breastfeeding? And of course, the answer to that is, of course not. Behold, God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Church, a mother is patient. Like God's love for his children, a mother's love should be patient. That is, a mother doesn't easily forget. Does she, moms? We can test mom's love. We can try mom's love. We can push it and we can pull it. We can frustrate it. We can even set it on fire. But we can never extinguish the patience that is found in a mother's love. A mother's love is patient. It endures the late nights. Say amen, mom. The illnesses, the teething, the trials, the mistakes and the sins, the heartache, the disrespect, the teenage angst, and the adulthood failures. A mother's love endures all those things. And God's love is like that. Only it's perfect. One author comments, quote, Even though the forces of infidelity and unbelief 
of indifference and ignorance may attempt to overthrow God's church, yet God is with her. For she is ever before his eyes. A mother's love is patient. It endures. This is part of what a mother contributes to her home that the father simply doesn't, generally speaking. While the masculine qualities of the father and the feminine qualities of the mother bring a balance to the home that kids need in order to grow a healthy, well-rounded life emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and of course physically, it would be pointless to suggest that a father's and mother's love don't have their own strengths. A mother's love and a father's love have their own strength. In our own home, Diamond and I have a saying. The man leads the home, but the woman sets the tone. Some of you women don't know the power you have. The man leads the home, but the woman sets the tone. Do not underplay what God has ordained you to do in your home and in your family. Yes, God is, account- is calling the man to accountability. God is calling the man to responsibility. But God's also given you a calling. It might not be that. But nevertheless, it is. Does this mean that a single parent can't successfully raise a child? Absolutely, unequivocally, without a doubt, no. It doesn't mean that a single parent can't successfully raise a child. Yes, they can. And amen to that. But I want to say this gently. And I want you to receive it with kindness. It does mean that it will be harder. Because it is not God's will for the family unit to be broken. It is not God's will for the family unit to be split. Now, we're sitting here in 2021. Most of us are either a part of or are responsible for a home that we would call broken. Some of us were raised in a home that was not broken, but was corrupt. There are different kinds of brokenness in homes. Amen? Nevertheless, a mother's love, like God's love, is patient. It should be patient. It should follow the example that God's love is for the church. You and I, we may be in imperfect situations, But the perfect love of God continues to provide an example for us. And it is so powerful, it is so memorable, that God's love even enables us, outside of his original design, to successfully raise our children in the admonition of him. That's so important. Secondly, I want you to note that God's love and a mother's love is forgiving. That's our second point here. A mother's love, like God's love, should be forgiving. 
Now, this is a rhetorical question, but who hasn't disappointed their mother? Unlike some of you, I lived a perfect life. <laughs> who hasn't disappointed their mother? Oh, I've disappointed my mother. Holy cow, I could tell you stories. My mother could tell you stories. She's been forbidden. I have a job to do, you know. We've all disappointed our mother, amen? And who hasn't disappointed God? But his love, like a mother's love, is forgiving. And yet forgiveness is offered to us. But, but just as forgiveness isn't free with God, it's free to us. But forgiveness cost God the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so forgiveness from our moms is costly too. It costs them emotionally. It costs them financially. It costs them mentally. Being a mother, a good mother, patient and forgiving as mothers ought to be, biblically speaking, is a costly affair. Motherhood takes its toll on moms. I'm going to say this to those of you who are children and not moms. Some of you owe your mother repentance today. Some of you need to leave this service, and the first thing you need to do when you get in the car is repent and apologize for the sweat and the toil and the tears that you have given to your mother instead of the love and the obedience and the affection that the Bible calls you to give her. You need to get in the car and you need to say, I was a jerk. I was a sinner. I was hard-hearted and deaf and blind and mute and I didn't obey you and I'm asking you to forgive me. Some of you need to do that with your mothers today. Not waste a minute. Start there. Because we all have expectations on parents, but some people have forgotten the expectations that are on the youth. Well, we don't do that here because we preach the entire Word of God. There are expectations on the father and on the mother and on the children. And some of you children need to leave here this Mother's Day and not say what's for lunch. Before you say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do better in God's strength. Some of you are not good at repenting, and you need to practice. You need to practice apologizing and making right a wrong relationship. Moms, I need to tell you something, and I want you to receive this. We have been, all of us, Forced into thinking that Instagram and CNN and Netflix know what's best for our children. The propaganda that they're being fed is exponential compared to what you think you're giving them. When they come out and they say, what's for dinner? And you say, hamburgers. And they turn around and walk back. That 30 second interaction doesn't compare to the eight hours of Netflix they've had. The propaganda that's been jammed down the proverbial mouth. That's told them what a girl is supposed to look like, what a girl is supposed to dress like, how a boy should act, how a boy should treat a young woman. 
I'm grateful for people like Alex and Alejandra who are teaching boys and girls what a boy and a girl is supposed to look like, sound like, behave like because of God's design. It's not always easy. And for, frankly, we're not always agreeing on these things, right? There are some of you under our roof today who are listening to me, but you resent what I'm saying, and I'm sorry. But your issue is with the Word of God, not with me. Let me get back to the point that I was making. Mom, if you think you're putting a dent in your child's upbringing, if you're fighting them against Instagram and CNN and Snapchat and Netflix and Hulu and everything else, you're wrong. I can tell you right now, you've got to fight harder. We're not parenting out of authority and love of God anymore. We're asking everyone around us if it's okay if we parent this way. What people will think if we parent this way. What their friends will do if we parent this way. Or we don't let them attend this party. Or we won't let them have this app. Or if we check their phone, which we pay for. Oh, you laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you need to get back your authority from your kids. You need to stop asking for permission. You need to do your job. Do not sell your children to this era. You will never get them back. Never. You need to start parenting out of authority and love of God's command and the children he's given you not out of fear, and not out of ignorance. First, two things I want to share. We owe our children knowledge and direction. You might want to write these down. If we're going to lead our children in a forgiving way, first of all, we owe our children knowledge and direction. They're counting on us to know when they should go left or when they should go right. When they should go forward or when they should go backward. We were all idiots as teenagers. Amen? But suddenly society is trying to tell us that in over the years, teenagers have become the most special and sophisticated and intelligent people that have ever lived. Wrong! Wrong. Moms, don't forfeit your God-given right to parent your kids who just a few years ago weren't even dressing themselves. And some of whom won't even make their own breakfast. And some of whom forget to flush the toilet. Most of whom don't have a job many of whom don't do their laundry or iron. If they knew that much, if they were that capable, they wouldn't be with you. They are with you regardless of how capable their mouth is because they need you. 
And God has designed it that way, not so that you could lord it over their heads to a point of frustration and exasperation, but so that you could give them knowledge and guidance. So that when they're doing their laundry and making their money and looking at their first apartment and considering college, they can rely on the knowledge and the guidance that you downloaded. Second, we need to stop making excuses for our kids. First of all, mom, you need to give your children knowledge and guidance. But second of all, we need to stop making, excuse me, we need to stop making excuses for our kids. And I, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but for some of you, you have adult children, you're still doing it. Stop making excuses for your kids. I'm tired of hearing from the mothers of disobedient troublemakers that their kids are really just too smart to be in that class. What? They're just so smart that they're bored. What? They're too smart to make a C. No, you're kidding me. Listen, I'm an educator, and I am, I am an administrator in an educational system. And I don't hesitate to say, you mean what you're telling me is that your kid is too smart to behave well? You mean your kid is so smart that he's too smart to do work that is beneath him or her? Obviously, that's never a question that's answered in the positive. Mom... You know that's nonsense. That's psychological nonsense that has zero support whatsoever. The truth of the matter is, some of you are standing on these excuses because you know that your child is underperforming. Underperforming morally. Underperforming mentally. Underperforming emotionally. Now, I'm not only a pastor of a church that has a broad demographic, I'm also a father of two teenagers. So when I tell you this, I'm not whipping this stuff out of the air. I see it. I deal with it. Mom, you need to stop. They're just kids. They don't know anything Some of you have kids telling you what's going to happen and what's going to take place, what they're going to do. And just a couple of years ago, they couldn't find their way to the bathroom if the lights were off in the house. I'm sorry to say it that way, but sometimes you need a reality check of what it is you're really dealing with. Our kids need your guidance and your knowledge, and you need to take your authority back. Let me turn a corner here and make a point. While a mother's love, like God's love, should be forgiving, we must always remember, say amen if you're listening, that forgiveness is not the same as acceptance. And forgiveness is not the same as permission. 
And forgiveness is not the same as approval. In his wonderful book titled Parenting, Paul David Tripp writes, Our children need the security of faithful, consistent, firm, uncompromising, and loving authority. It's just rain. It's, it's, it happened before. Authority that is motivated by and tempered by grace. You see, moms, forgiveness should be an ingredient of your parental love. But forgiveness is not permission. Forgiveness should be an ingredient of your parental love, but forgiveness is not allowance. Your children, our children, they need authority, they need guidance, and they need wisdom. You need the biblical authority granted to you by God to lead firmly and with resolution. Forgiveness, yes, it should be provided, but not allowance around things that are wrong. You need the guidance granted to you by God to help your children navigate this world, and you need the wisdom found in Scripture to discern what is right and wrong. True and false, good and bad, because without that, they will not know. They will turn on the television. They will turn on their apps. They will talk to their friends in school. And five minutes after that, they won't know where they're coming from, where they're going. Most importantly, they won't know who they are. We have so many teenagers today that are trying to turn our country and our churches on its head because the reality of the matter is their parents desperately failed them and forgot to tell them who they are. In my family, we have a motto. We're Team Myra. That name represents something. That that name means something. Now, for some of you, You find out afterward what happens. I wonder what decision they'll make. I wonder if they'll do this or if they'll do that. Shouldn't be that way. You should do all that you possibly can to ensure that when your children and your spouse are outside of the home, you're all living according to the same principles. And they're not made up by anybody in the house. They're made up by this book. And everybody abides by these, not just the father or the mother or the children. We all live by these rules, which means sometimes my kids have to forgive me too. Sometimes I have to repent. Sometimes I have to apologize. But the reality of the matter is, is if we don't follow the guidelines, what we will inevitably reap is that which we have sown, and we're seeing it right now. We have a generation of people growing up who don't know who they are. Finally, a mother's love like God's love should be comforting. A mother's love like God's love should be comforting. For this last point, I want you to turn from Isaiah 49 to Isaiah 60. <clears throat> excuse me, 66. From Isaiah 49 to Isaiah 66. And we're going to begin in verse 12. I'll give you a moment to get there. 
Let me know when you're there by saying amen. Amen. Beginning in verse 12, God's word says this. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. You shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced on her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Mom, I need you to hear me now. Our kids are getting verbally assaulted every day. When they're not fitting into whatever trend that's current. Our kids are being philosophically assaulted every day when they don't think the way that the masses think. Our kids are being spiritually assaulted every day when their faith is mocked and insulted every day. Our children need your comfort. Our children need your consolation. And if you don't know how to provide that, Mom, you better learn. You better learn how to comfort your children when they're in need of it because if they don't get it provided by you, they will find it provided by somebody. And too often, it's in the wrong place. Too often, it's in the wrong person because we're sinners after all. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, our kids are little sinners. And that that guidance, that knowledge that we should be downloading to them, if we fail to do that and do it in a comforting way, in a consoling way, if if our kids don't come to us and go, yeah, what's up? Hey, I need to talk to you about something. If that's not happening, you better fix your household in such a way that it starts happening because if they don't come to you, I guarantee you they're going to somebody else. And it's happening at a younger and younger and younger age because we're parenting less and less and less. The needs of our kids have not changed, but the pressure of society has become greater. And it has convinced us to remove ourselves from the equation. Do not allow the world to tell your kids who or what they will be. That's your job, that's your authority. That's your God-given initiative. And sometimes that God-given initiative and authority isn't about downloading guidance and knowledge. Sometimes it's about being there at the door when they come home with a hug. They need your comfort. Your house must be the safest place they will ever know. Because if the world is safer than your home. That's saying something. If your children feel safer at someone else's house than they do at your home, that's saying something. Mom, your home must be a place of comfort. Our kids are being assaulted a thousand different ways in ways they don't even know they are being assaulted. And God has entrusted their comfort to us. 
First, your comfort should be verbal. First of all, your comfort should be verbal. What is more comforting than knowing that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as Psalm 139 says? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that John chapter 3 says. That there's unity and fellowship in the body of Christ, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. That God will never leave us or forsake us, as Hebrews chapter 13 says. When our kids need comfort, what they need isn't opinions or viewpoints or options. When our kids need comfort, what they need is the gospel. The gospel, which is the good news of what God has done for sinners like you and me in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's amazing that you guys, many of you, have the relationship that you do with your children. But some of you have inadvertently created an idolatry factory in your house. Your kids don't love Jesus, but they do worship you, and you're happy with that. You love that your kids can't take a step without your advice. You love that your kids can't take a step without you saying left or right. Now, you should be imparting to people your children, the experience and the wisdom that you have, but not so that they can't think on their own. The wisdom and the knowledge that you give them should be the gospel so that their first thought as they grow is not to what you think, but to what God thinks. That's why we discipline our children, not punish, but discipline. Discipline and punishment are not the same thing. Our children need to be disciplined so that they can appreciate that there are consequences to actions. Every action has a consequence. And if we don't discipline our children, then they become adults who think that everything that they do is okay as long as they're not caught. Our children need the gospel. Second, your comfort should not only be verbal, but your comfort should also be physical. Listen to this affectionate language in Isaiah 66. God says, You shall be carried on her hip you shall be bounced on her knee. What's more intimate than that? There's such a physical aspect to the affection and the comfort that God's people are supposed to be providing to the world, and God provides to his people. And by following the illustration, that parents should be providing to their children. God made us affectionate people. Now, all of us are affectionate in a different way. You read the scriptures... They were kissers, just like the Hispanic culture is here. They were in the Middle East. They still are. They kiss hand, they kiss foreheads, they kiss cheek. Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. It's scriptural. Now, some of you, you were never taught properly how to hug, and I'm sorry. That's not my fault. When we hug, we hug like this. Some of you hug like this. Everybody hugs different. That's fine. But the scriptures are an affectionate piece of literature. 
we see affection through and through. Mark chapter 10 says that when the, ki- the children came to Jesus, the disciples said, don't bother him. He's an important person. And Jesus said, don't stop the kids from coming to me. And it says that Jesus, and I quote, took them up in his arms and blessed them. That means Jesus grabbed the kids up off the ground and hugged them. That's what kind of Savior our Savior is. And that's not a New Testament, Old Testament thing. Look at what we've just read about in Isaiah. God says, I will comfort my people. I will hold my people. I will never forget my people. Listen, your kids not o- need not only comfort verbally, but your kids need comfort physically. There's such an important aspect to that in our scriptures. Our kids need high fives. Our kids need pats on the back. Our kids need hugs. Our kids need more hugs. Our kids need kisses. Our, kid, our kids need back massages. Our kids need us to touch them, to let them know that we're there. If you're sitting there watching a show and your kid's feet are there, grab the foot, hold the foot. For the love of God, touch your kids. Your kids need to know that you're there and that you love them. Because if you don't verbally build them up here, and you don't physically build them up here, that does not do away with the fact that God built them to receive verbal and physical affirmation. It just means that they'll get a different kind of verbal and physical affirmation. 